Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. You have to find that thing that you want so badly that you'll stand in the town square naked and let people throw rotten tomatoes at you because you believe in it so much. And I just, you know, I've had so many times in my life where, you know, I couldn't rely on other people to give me that, so I had to give that to myself. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. 
Yes, you're welcome. I'm excited to be here. So it is my pleasure to have you back here for, I believe, what might be the third time. You're one of the, the rare few guests who has made multiple appearances on our show, and that's for good reason. I mean, you are a speaker at our event, The Instigator Experience, uh, have had a significant impact on everything that I have done. And uh, the other big reason that I wanted to bring you back is uh, you are in my upcoming book, which is going to be coming out uh, in a couple of weeks. And so as a part of the launch, what I wanted to do is bring back various people that I had profiled in the book. So uh, I want to start a little bit differently than I have started with you in the past. Uh, you know, one of the things that I know about you uh, is that your dad has had this big influence on your life. So I want to start by asking you, what is the most important thing that you learned from your dad uh, about business and life that has impacted and shaped the work that you do and who you became later on? Oh my God. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Here comes my daddy issues. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's, it's like, Oh wow. I wasn't expecting that at all. You totally shocked me. Okay. It's hard to do. It's hard to shock me. <laughs> I'm usually the one who's doing the shocking. You know, my dad is really tough and I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've gotten from him is, is being tough, being relentless, and also tapping into your creativity to solve problems. So, you know, growing up, I always wanted to be daddy's girl. I always wanted my dad to spoil me and say, oh, honey, let's go shopping. Daddy will buy you whatever you want. Well, I'm still waiting for that day 45 <laughs> years later, still waiting for daddy to take me shopping and buy me whatever I want. You know, and he'll say, you're a big girl. You got your own money. Take yourself shopping. Um, but really, it is about, um, God, there's so many, like, sound bites that come to me. So I would say one of the big things is that you can't borrow your way to success. So the backstory behind that is when I was working in commercial real estate with him, you know, we co-created a very successful multimillion-dollar commercial real estate company, and it took us, you know, 10 years to build it, and now my sister runs that company and during the height of the recession, we were doing a 30,000-square-foot um, 30, remodel. And it was a, an incredibly extensive project. And, you know, we had all this shakeup in our buildings and lots of tenants moving out and, you know, people going bankrupt and people not being able to pay their bills. So not only were we juggling that, but then we had this 30,000-square-foot renovation under, underway. And I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I... I I really think that we need to get a construction loan. I just don't know how our cash flow is going to carry us through this, you know, in addition to the, the remodel and everything else that's going on. And he said, absolutely not. And he said to me, Erica, you cannot borrow your way to success. We're just going to have to put our heads together. We're going to have to think through this. We're going to have to contemplate. We're going to have to get creative. We're going to have to roll up our sleeves and dig in. And you know, of course, I was disappointed because getting a construction loan would have been the easy way to go. And, uh, you know, at this time, I was also building my current business. And so anything that was going to require extra work on my time, you know, I was like, no, I want to work on my, my own business. I don't want to work on our business. I got my own thing going on. But, you know, I did it. We dove in. We got really creative. We, it just it forced us to bring out something within us that we didn't know existed, and overall, during that time, 2008, 2009, 2010, we still maintained a 98% occupancy rate in our buildings. I mean, that's unheard of in any economy, let alone what was happening in you know, the Great Recession. And so that lesson has come back to me again and again and again, is you can't borrow your way to success. And I use that advice on myself all of the time. You know, I'm someone who loves to spend money. I have no problem spending money. And, you know, I, I, would, just, I would love to spend all my money and having my designer, my graphic designer, Rebecca Pollock, just like whip up images for Instagram. And just I could do design work all day long and spend huge amounts of money in marketing. But I know that at the end of the day, my power and my business comes from me. It comes from within. It comes from my heart. It comes from my soul. It comes from me willing to have those difficult conversations with my clients. It comes to, you know, showing up in the greatest capacity that I can every single day. And that's advice that I consistently give my, as I'm saying, my tenants, but they're my clients now. And it's tough because nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to, to dive in and do the hard work because it's scary and it's unknown and it's uncomfortable and you have to pull yourself inside out. 
and, you know, upside down and rearrange yourself. And it can be confusing and frustrating and, you know, give you panic attacks in the middle of the night. You can wake up, you know, in the morning, just free, feeling freaked out or not being able to sleep before you go to bed because your mind is racing. But it's really what's needed to be done. And I don't hear enough tough love advice in the marketplace. And everybody's very busy with their mantras and affirmations and rearranging their vision boards. And I'm all about those. I love mantras and affirmations. And I've got my own version of a vision board. It's a design board. Um, I'm concepting a luxury handbag line. So I've got all sorts of design images everywhere I go. Um, But the truth is, is that it's, it takes a lot of work to be successful. And you, you, you've got to dig in and you've got to do the hard work. And unfortunately, most people aren't willing to do that. Yeah. So there's two themes that uh, kind of stood out to me based on, on what you just said. And, and one is resilience. The other is resourcefulness. And I'm wondering how one goes about cultivating those two things. And the question on resilience is one that I've been um, pondering lately. And this is a third question. So like always, three questions in one. Uh, do you think that resilience is only the byproduct of having gone through diff- difficult experiences uh, or do you think it can actually be cultivated without having to go through the difficult things that lead to it? Well, I know that my resilience has been cultivated due to difficult situations. Like I said, I've always had champagne, champagne tastes. Um, you know, I was in the third grade. I was looking at Vogue magazine, you know, dreaming of owning a whole wardrobe of Valentino clothes at, you know, at eight years old, however, you, however old you are in the third grade. And, uh, you know, we just, that just wasn't my life. And so, I was raised to work. And so I got my work. I, you know, that's what I did. I got my first job when I was 14 years old. I washed dishes for a summer. I scooped ice cream. I wanted to go visit my friend who lived in Los Angeles. We went to the Beverly center. As soon as we got off the air, I got off the airplane. We went to the Beverly center within 30 minutes. All my money was gone. (laughs) I'd spent it at the Beverly center. Um, so I think that it, you know, it, growing up for me, like I was forced to be resilient. Like my parents were raised to work and they, they raised me to work whether I liked it or not. Um, so I've always just, I've always wanted a lot out of life. And I just, I think, it, you know, again, people are forced into it through different situations. You know, some people have kids and they're forced to step up to the plate. Some people have pets and they're forced to step up to the plate. They've got, you know, a, a sick family member or an aging parent. And, you know, a lot of life situation causes you, forces you to be resilient, whether you want it or not. Um, but I think if you want something badly enough and you're, you're just going to figure out a way to get it. What do you think separates uh, people who crack uh, in moments where they're required to be resilient from the ones who don't? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with cracking. <laughs> I crack all the time. So... <laughs> Um, it's just a matter of, are you willing to get up the next day and get back at it? Yeah. So it's not about being perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. I, you know, I have a huge creative brain and I change my life. I change my mind a lot about things and I call it strategy. My team calls it changing my mind (laughs) 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 with difference of opinion there. Um, but, but that's okay. It's just, it's just about, you know, stepping up, stepping up to the plate and getting back in the game. So it's not about perfection. It's not about, you know, trying to be flawless. It's about getting back at it. And that's what I think true resiliency is, is just getting back at it the next day. Like you screw up. So what? Who cares? Just keep going. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's really funny because I always think about uh, moments when I wanted to quit and the fact that the gap between when I was thinking about quitting and when I got the opportunity to write a book was about three months. Yeah, it gets less and less. The more you get into it, the gap does get less and less. So what a lot of people may not know about you who are listening, especially because we have so many new listeners um, since you were last here, is that you wrote a book called Think Like a Stripper uh, based on the fact that you were a stripper. So um, I have to ask you uh, about life and business lessons, which I know there were so many, which we could do an entire hour on, uh, from that time uh, working as a stripper. Like, what did you learn? How have you applied it to your life going forward? Um, and how does that impact the work that you do with the people that you do it with? Well, again, it, it really does come back to that place of resiliency and and hustle. And I think people have a 
a, I think there's a stereotype of, of being a stripper that all you have to do is, you know, walk around and show your tatas and smile and giggle and guys will throw money at you. And maybe that's like it, that for some strippers, but that's just never been my life. Like nothing, the only thing that's ever come easy for me is bossing people around. Seriously. <laughs> Everything else is difficult. So, you know, I've, I have a hard time feeding myself. Like, what am I going to eat? You know, that's why I always eat the same stuff unless my husband is cooking for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's about, you know, the reason I became a stripper is I wanted money to, to go to school. And, uh, but, but the bigger reason behind that, the more mo- motivating reason was that I knew that if I could strip, that I would always be able to look back on that and say, I was a stripper. There's nothing that I can't do. Nothing. So, you know, that's a lesson for myself that I come back to again and again and again. But it really is about, you know, diving in there and doing the work and showing up. But it's not, you know, hard work isn't just about, you know, like scrubbing your kitchen floor with a toothbrush. It's about learning how to have fun. You know, how do you have fun in difficult times? So, one thing that I've always done as a survival mechanism, and I still do it to this day, is I create characters. You know, when you're a stripper, you create a stage name. Um, There's another way of creating characters. I call them creating a compact superhero. And you basically create a persona, an alter ego, or or a character to help yourself with that. Um, You know, so I've always relied on role-playing and creating imaginary characters to get through things. And that's a lot of what I did when I was a a stripper is that I would Mm role-play. You know, so what would your what would your stage name be? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know off the top of my head. What do you think it would be? It would have something to do with surfing. I know that. <laughs> much. Surfing. Okay. <laughs> All right. Nothing's coming to mind, but something like Surfina or something. <laughs> <laughs> so you said that being a stripper eventually led to this belief that there was nothing that you can't do. Um, so there's two questions that come from that. One is I don't imagine that the average person who had spent a portion of their career as a stripper would come to that conclusion. Um, so what do you think it is about you and the experiences that you had that allowed you to see the world that way? And how in the world does somebody cultivate the belief that there's nothing that they can't do based on your experience without necessarily having to, you know, work as a stripper? Yes. Well, um, again, I just, I come from the place of I've, always, ever since I was little, I always wanted world domination. I always wanted to be in charge. Like I was just born to be a boss. I mean, there's just no denying it. It's being bossy is the biggest thing that I got into trouble in when I was a little girl. My parents were always like, quit being so bossy, quit telling your friends what to do, quit telling me what to do. (laughs) Um, but you know, I, and I've never had any problem. Like I fully own that I'm bossy. I warn people like I'm bossy just so you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that was just, I always wanted a big life, not for the sake of collecting things or having things, but just being independent, being my own person, being my own woman, being able to be creative. And, you know, when you keep just, you just keep at it again. I just, I do think it's part of how I'm wired. And I was raised in an extremely strict environment. Like I said, we were born to work and my brother and my sister were all incredibly hard workers. We have an amazing work ethic and we know that, you know, hard work is one of the paths to financial freedom and success. So again, you just, you have to find that thing that you want so badly that you'll stand in the town square naked and let people throw rotten tomatoes at you because you believe in it so much. And I just, you know, I've had so many times in my life where you know, I couldn't rely on other people to give me that. So I had to give that to myself. And I think the other thing, part of that is, you know, the, the area that I grew up in, I grew up in, in a suburb of Minneapolis, you know, in the seventies and eighties, very conservative time, very conservative suburb. It was an affluent suburb. And I was always a progressive thinker. I always did things outside of the box And that was not the environment that I lived in. And so I was always fighting for my space. And I wasn't being rebellious just to be rebellious. It was because this is who I am and this is what I believe. And this is how I think people should be able to move through the world. Hmm. Well, uh, 
I think that actually makes a, a perfect setup to spend uh, the rest of our time talking about what I want to spend, you know, what, what I want to talk about most, um, which is this notion of creative daring, uh, which is a section that I dedicated to you in my book. And, you know, one of the things that I learned from you was to stop hiding behind so many masks and let a good amount of who I am and what I really wanted to see exist in the world become part of my work. Um, so I'd love for you to talk uh, about sort of your own experiences with letting that come out in your work, you know, what it was, what led to it. And then, of course, you know, how do people infuse creative daring into their work? Well, I think with you, it came from that I think I know is that I met you several years ago, you know, originally as a guest on your show, and then we became friends after that, is that I found your personality to be different on air than it was in real life. I mean, I remember having two-hour Facebook messaging conversations with you about, you know, from fashion to, you know, who's who and what's what. And, and uh, I found you to be opinionated in a way that I didn't have that same experience with you on your show. And it bothered me. Mm. And because I'm someone, obviously, who's opinionated <laughs> and believe you should say what you want to say. You know, I, I fully believe in full self-expression. And I respect that from from anybody, no matter what their, their beliefs are. So it bothered me that you were not opinionated in your public persona. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, I remember we had this conversation around this and I said, you've got to start sharing your viewpoints. And so, you know, for me, I don't go around saying my opinions about everything all of the time, because first of all, I probably have no friends (laughs) and, um, it's not all of my opinions are relevant to, to what I'm up to. So, you know, one of the things that I consistently teach my clients is about having viewpoints and not simply, you know, when it comes to whatever you're working on, whether you're writing a book, creating a podcast, designing a line of, uh, luxury handbags or, you know, creating a product or service for your business is, What are your viewpoints? Like, how do you think something should be done? How do you think something should be made? Uh, You know, what's missing in the marketplace that you would like to add or that you feel like that would make a difference? And so, you know, with Think Like a Stripper, I wanted to give myself the courage to speak about my past for two reasons. First, I knew that I had learned a lot about stripping that had been incredibly useful in my commercial real estate career. And one of the reasons why our company was a a consistent success year after year after year, despite what was happening in in the economy. And the second was, is that I, I wanted to finish all of the healing that I needed to finish from that career. There was still a lot of hurt and pain that I was carrying around on the inside And the third was that I wanted to inspire people to tell their stories. Everybody's got a story. You know, we are who we are because of the experiences that we've had in our life. And everybody's had, you know, horrific experiences happen to them. And everybody's had great experiences happen to to us. And it's, you know, it's our experiences in life that shape how we move through the world. And so, you know, I, I wanted to write it for myself. I wanted to tell my story. I also didn't want to forget all of the, you know, the fun that I had. Because, you know, stripping is a world that's it's highly addictive. There's a ton of fun. There's a ton of drama. And there's a lot of ridiculousness going on. And I didn't want to forget those stories. Um, so coming from that lens of not just like, oh, I just I want to write a book, you know, because I want people to know I used to be a stripper. But giving a meaning, you know, when you, when you have a viewpoint, it gives shape to what you're doing. It gives kind of a, a structure to what you're doing. And sometimes structure is really great, as you know, for creativity, you know, you've written several books. So you know that having structure, it almost forces you to be even more creative. And when you have this viewpoint, it's not about, oh, this is my opinion, and you better listen to it, bitches. (laughs) It's about, um, I've really thought about this, I've really taken the time to cultivate this. And I think that if you're willing to listen to me, it'll make a difference in your life. And that's really different than like, I'm a shock jock and I'm just going to say whatever I want because of whatever. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah, it reminds me of a phrase that uh, you told me, which went in my book, which was provocative with a purpose. Yes, I was just thinking about that today. <laughs> like, where have I lost my provocativeness? You know, it's always my fear. Am I losing my edge? Am I losing my edge? Mm-hmm. What um, has been the impact of that being your past uh, on your relationships with your parents and other people in your life? Um, you know... I don't know if it has. I would say maybe some people don't like me because of that. Um, but I'd say there's just as many people who are drawn to me because I'm so open and honest about my story. Mm-hmm. And my mom, you know, I told her when I was about 26 years old, I lied to my parents for the first four or five years that I was dancing. You know, they lived in another state and I danced out in Seattle and uh, I told them I was a waitress at a strip club. And I don't know if they believe it or not. I'm pretty sure my dad did it. Cause he knows I love to make money. I was like, there's no way she's going to stay as a waitress. Um, so I, I told my mom and you know, she wasn't happy about it. And then I, I wrote a letter to my dad to tell him I was too terrified to tell him in person or even over the phone. And we didn't really discuss that. He, I think he said something like I've got the letter, et cetera, but I'm, I'm very fortunate and very blessed to have parents who, have supported me and loved me no matter what I was doing or where, where I was going. And, you know, I've always been edgy and I've always been provocative and I've always been, um, you know, progressive and they're just, they know that's who I am. And so a lot of it is just like, Oh, I'm just used to that, et cetera. So it's not like it was like, I was this totally good girl my whole life. I'm like, what our little Erica, what's happening? (laughs) You know, I was like, well, of course she's a stripper. Have you met her? You know? Um, So I think that, you know, we laugh about it now. You know, I'm always asking my mom, have you read my book yet? Have you read my book yet? (laughs) No, she hasn't. My dad actually did read it. And he said, you're, you were, he said, it was a great book. And you were really brave to write that book. Mm -hmm. Um, But my dad, you know, he's benefited it. I've made him millions of dollars because of my ability to hustle and because I'm not afraid of people. So, you know, 
it was to his benefit that I know how to think like a stripper. <laughs> uh, so t- two questions come from this entire concept of viewpoints. Uh, one is, why do you think that people don't have the courage to speak up about their past, their stories, you know, the things that ultimately make them who they are and ultimately could shape their viewpoints into doing something or being something that we can't help but pay attention to. Uh, And then the other question is, how do you know uh, when you're out of alignment with your values when it comes to your viewpoints? Um, Okay, so the first question, I think that from my recollection, from my recollection of what happens in school, you know, most of school is like, this is what you need to know. It's very information based. It's not conversation based. So I don't know how often kids are encouraged to bring their thoughts into conversations. And when I was in, when I was in college, I had a professor who was an amazing mentor to me. And, um, although my, one of my friends did warn me, she's going to make you cry because she makes everybody cry. And I said, sounds like my kind of lady. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, as much as I like to dish it out, I love to accept it from people that I respect. And, and it was a class on contemporary, contemporary feminist theory. And that whole class was about challenging assumptions. And it was an, the whole class was a conversation and it really challenged me and pushed me to think differently about the world and to challenge assumptions. And so, again, I was very blessed to be in a situation with a mentor. And I went on to work with her. She helped me write my thesis paper to work with her for an additional year. And, um, you know, she pushed me like nobody's business. And, again, I was very lucky to be in such an inviting environment where my opinion, people wanted to hear what I had to say. And she did help me cultivate how to be a better thinker. And then again, also my dad, who is an incredible problem solver. He's an incredible thinker, very smart, very intellectual, but also very, you know, business smart and very, I would say my dad's street smart, although he probably wouldn't agree with me, but he's very street smart. And um, so I think that's part of it is, you know, whether people have been in an environment where they're encouraged to share their thoughts or to, you know, start exploring them. And I'd say for the majority of people, that's probably not the situation. And then as far as if you know you're out of viewpoints, what was it? You're, are you out of alignment yeah, in your I values mean, to your viewpoints? You, yeah, exactly. Well, you have to know what your values are. Mm-hmm. And this is where, you know, where I came up this this tagline for myself of provocative with purpose is because I can become very purposeful and then it can be kind, kind of like too serious or I might even get, become too esoteric or um, I hate to admit this, but a little bit too cuddly. <laughs> um, and then on the provocative side, I can very easily go to, you know, like and think like a stripper. I told a PG, you know, a PG-13 version of a triple X experience. <laughs> so... Um, you know, I remember the first, like the first chapter, I showed it to my friend and he said, it sounds like you worked in a women's prison. I feel kind of grossed out right now. <laughs> so I had to, you know, reel in a lot of my language, et cetera. And then I also used the word uh, tits and ass a lot. And my other friend, Melissa said, you sound like a dude from the 1990s. I'm like, well, hello, <laughs> it's not my fault. That was, that's how you talk. You know, you're hanging out with men all those years. Uh-huh. Um so it's just about, you know, again, creating a structure for yourself. And that's what values do is that I don't want to write a book that was just shocking for the sake of shocking. I wanted to write a book with, with purpose. And I also, you know, I love telling fun and edgy stories. And that's, that's who I am. That's always who I have been. And, I, you know, I like to push people's buttons, but I like to do it for, for a reason and to help them think about something differently or to help them you know, see themselves in a different way. So you have to know what your values, you absolutely have to know what your values are. How do you mine the experiences of your life uh, to find those things that enable you to be provocative with a purpose and bring them into your work? Uh, Like how do I create those stories? Yeah. I mean, well, how does somebody else? Yeah. Well, you got to sit down and do the work. I mean, Again, there's no shortcuts in life. If you want to borrow my dad, you know, my dad's <laughs> favorite saying, you can't borrow your way to success. Yeah. So, and think like a stripper, you know, it took me four years to write that book. 
And it's not a, you know, you can read the book in two hours. And I had to really dig deep to find those stories and how do I tell these stories so that they, that they're fun and inspiring. And it's something that, you know, even though my mother hasn't read the book, that if she were to read the book, you know, she wouldn't be so shocked that, you know, she'd fall over dead. Um, so again, you, you've got to sit down and you, you just, you've got to, you've got to do the work. And it was excruciating to write that book. When I look back at writing the book, I don't have any fond memories of it. <laughs> so it, it's painful to write, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's not painful for everybody else, but for me, writing is, it's, it's difficult. It's not something that has ever come easily to me. So, but I've had to learn to sit down and, and do the work because I wanted to put the book out. So that's what it takes. If you want something badly enough and you stay open to how it's supposed to come through, you'll find your answers, you'll find the words, you'll find the phrases that you need to say, but you need to sit down with, you know, pen and paper in hand, or you need to sit down in front of your computer. Or a lot of times what I do is I do yoga with a notepad and a pen handy. And it's like, it's kind of like my own workshop when I'm trying to get ideas or I'll stop and break up my iPad or I'm reading books and my yoga mat is, is right there. Or even going for walks just to get an idea of, you know, how could I bring this through? And, and I think the other thing too, is that it takes time for ideas to come through. Like with my luxury handbag line that I'm crafting, uh, you know, I've, I've wanted to do design stuff since I was in the third, in the third grade and I have a degree in apparel design and, you know, I know how to make anything, but I, I don't want to just put a line out there. I want it to be very thoughtful and I want it to, I want to feel good about it. And uh, that takes time. And so I've been really crafting this line since last July. And now, as you know, I'm moving to Seattle, from Minneapolis to Seattle here this summer. And it just, it takes time for stuff to come through. And you just, you just have to learn to be patient. And one of the things that I always say is that patience isn't a virtue, it's a strategy. Mm. And I remember that when I get frustrated about how long something takes, that I remember that the universe has something better coming my way. Like there's a better idea. There's a better angle. Like I just have to wait and be patient. You know, I I think there are two things I really appreciate uh, about your answer to that question. One is this idea of digging deep. uh, And that to me is a daily practice uh, to really figure out, you know, what lies under all these layers. Uh, In fact, maybe not just a daily practice, but one of a lifetime to really get to the core of what makes you who you are and what makes you tick. Um, And then of course, you know, Things take a long time. Uh, longevity is one of those things. Uh, and I've said this multiple times uh, on the show. I think we live in a world where our perception of longevity is incredibly warped uh, because everything moves so fast. Like we think that one year is a long time to stick to something. And uh, I wrote this in my book, and I, I think it, it's worth you know saying again uh, because I, it stuck with me so much. You know, Sam Altman, who runs Y Combinator, uh, the well-known startup incubator, he said that a long-term advantage or a long-term view is one of your greatest competitive advantages because so few people have one. Yes. I love that. That's totally it. It took me two years to come up with the name daily whip two years. Mm-hmm. I probably own 400 domain names. <laughs> I think I'm down to like 75 right now. Yeah. Maybe not that many. Well, I mean, you know, firsthand it took us, four years to come up with the name unmistakable creative. Yeah. And you went through all these different variations of it. Oh yeah. Um, well, I want to finish by, um, asking you about money, uh, because you've brought it up multiple times, uh, in our conversation and this, how much do you need? <laughs> I don't know, a couple hundred grand, but you said I can't <laughs> no borrow problem. My, Can't borrow my way to success. So <laughs> You're already successful. That that rule doesn't apply to you, Shrini. Uh, this episode, like every other episode of the podcast, is sponsored by HostGator. So we're talking specifically in this episode about moments of creative daring. And 
often something as simple as buying a domain name, putting up a landing page and starting to collect email addresses for whatever crazy idea you have can be a moment of creative daring. In fact, when we plan an event, that's actually how it happened. We literally did exactly that with no idea how it would come to life. It was just a crazy idea. And maybe you have an idea like this yourself and you want to act on it. Fortunately, our friends at HostGator can help you get started because they're offering 30% off all of their hosting packages for unmistakable creative listeners. All you have to do is go to HostGator.com slash creative and use the promo code creative at checkout for 30% off. The sense that I get from listening to the way you describe your relationship with money, the way you talked about spending it, the way you talked about making it is that you live with this sense of tremendous abundance and you have this very healthy relationship with money. And I'm wondering if that has always been the case. Uh, If not, how did you cultivate it? And if so, how do other people do it in their lives? And why do we see such a sort of wide array of, of issues with this? Well, again, it goes back to my parents and I'm not kidding. I used to call my, we used to call my mom slave driver when we were little, like here comes the slave driver. She'd say, stop calling me that. Uh, I was raised to work. And, uh, like I said, I grew up in a, in an affluent suburb and we lived in the poor part of it. Um, and so I, there was a lot of wealth around me and I saw my parents, my parents, my friend's parents just hand them money. Like they had their own credit cards. I never had that. I always had to work for everything that I have. And now I, I really appreciate that because I do feel incredibly independent in my life. And I think that you, you have to, you can't be foolish with your money. And I certainly um, have been, there's been times in my life where I've been really smart with my money and other times where I haven't been smart with my money. And for me, my biggest obsession is like clothes and shopping, you know, girly stuff. And uh, that's always been my, my kryptonite. <laughs> so, oh, new handbag must have, um, which is why I have to start a handbag company so that uh, <laughs> I can write off handbags as research. Um, so I think that you have, to, you, have to, you have to respect money. And I think that's what, what, ha- is what happens is that people don't respect its power. And I love money, and I'm not afraid to say that I love it. I've always loved it. It gives you incredible freedom to do the things that you want to do. And I believe that anybody has financial power. Uh, and I also, one thing that's not talked about is, is that people, don't, people talk about making money, but they, don't, they never talk about creating money. Mm-hmm. And in my life, I've created money again and again and again and again, and you know, when you get money, then you, you leverage it. You turn it into something greater and turning into something greater. And, so, you know, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. So you just, you have to have incredible respect for it. You have to love it. And you have to um, be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You have to stand up for it. So, for example, I have a cashmere poncho and it had a little moth hole in it. So I took it to a dry cleaner's. And I said, how much would it cost to get this hole fixed? It's a teeny, teeny, tiny hole. And they said it would be $35 to get it rewoven. So they had to send it to another place to, to get it fixed. It's not just like a little patch. They, I'm not quite sure how they do it, but it's, it's kind of a complex process. So I was like, okay, uh, I'm willing to spend $35 on this. So I went in yesterday to pick it up, and they rang it up, and they said, oh, that'll be $96. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. And I said, the woman told me it's $35. And he said, what woman? And I described her to a T. Thank God I remember what she looked like. And uh, she came out and she said, yeah, no problem. Just, just charge her $35. And, uh, you know, the guy said, well, reweaving is very expensive. And, you know, we don't set the prices because we have to send it out. And I said, well, that's, that's fine. But I, I wouldn't have spent $95. I would have just uh, I would have patched the hole myself. And, uh, you know, that's an example. Could I have spent $95 getting the whole fix? Absolutely. But was I willing to? No, because the agreed upon price was $35. And that, you know, that's what I thought was a fair price for that. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of thing of like, you know, just because someone says something, you have to be willing to stick up for your money. And that means if someone owes you money, you have to be willing to collect it. You have to be willing to put your foot down and, you know, stand in your center and, and, you know, demand payment. And if, you know, if they won't pay you, then you have to be willing to, to take other measures. I mean, I've been to court more than once with tenants who, who didn't pay rent and that we evicted and it's not a fun process, but you have to, you know, you, you have to respect money. So 
I want you to expand on one thing. Uh, you made a distinction between ma uh, making money or getting money and creating money. Uh, and I'd love for you to talk about the distinction between those two things in more details, and then we'll start wrapping things up. Well, I think a lot of conversation these days is, again, it comes back to the vision board and the mantras of the affirmations that if I just look at my vision board all day long, I'll start getting big checks in the mail. Well, I'm still waiting for that. So <laughs> that hasn't happened for me. Um, and I'm someone who likes to take the power into my own hands, and that's what feels good. I like to take responsibility for my own successes and failures in life. I like to be in charge of my in charge of myself. So um, money is about creativity. So let's say, you know, example with the instigator experience. You know, you and your business partner said to yourselves, "Let's have an event." Okay, there's the first idea. Well, how much is it going to cost? Okay. Well, what's it going to cost for us to put it on? You know, what's our profit going to be? Um, what are all of the things that we have to do within this? Like, what do we have to do to promote it? What do we have to do to sell it? And, you know, that's an example of like, we're going to create something that didn't exist before and we're going to charge people to attend. That's a perfect example of creating money. You didn't just sit around and surf and hope that when you came home, a large check arrived in your mailbox. That would be nice. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it? Right. And I think people, they just, they don't give themselves enough credit for how creative they really are. And I would say, if, if anything, you know, it's like up your work ethic, but also up your creativity, you know, play in the world of imagination, go crazy, just imagine anything that you want, and then start to figure out, start to imagine how that you could bring that into your life or how you could take action on that. Well, um, I think that makes a, a really fitting way to, to close up. So I want to finish with one final question, which is how we finish every interview on the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Ah, what comes to mind is being yourself and not trying to contain or not trying to contain that. Just fully be yourself, a full expression of who you are without judging yourself, without trying to mold yourself and without trying to contain yourself. Well, um, I think that makes a, a just beautiful way to wrap up our conversation. Uh, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to join us and uh, share your story and your insights with our listeners. And it, it's been really, really fun to profile you in the book and uh, you know have you come back and talk about all of this. Thank you so much. It has been fun. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Next time on The Unmistakable Creative. There, there, there are two early fail points for creatives. The first fail point is poverty, right? It is really hard to figure out how to get paid in any way that's sustainable doing this stuff, right? In the beginning, for me, you know, it meant bartending till four in the morning, sleeping, you know, an hour and getting up and starting to work on my book because editors would start calling me at eight o'clock in the morning and I had to be ready for it. Um, and just not sleeping for five or six years, right? Like that, like, but everybody goes through that where you're working two, three jobs, you're doing whatever. And it, so that's the, the, the first whack of people are those people. And I also have discovered, by the way, people who come in with a trust fund or, or, or those things, they have another problem. They, like, they, they haven't had to work for it. So it's hard to take the criticism that comes from editors and whatever the thing, the relationships you have to make, they don't need them as badly. So they screw them. People who have money screw up those early relationships because they're not precious. Other people, they may honor those relationships, but they just can't hack it. They can't take the poverty for so long. Stephen Kotler joins us to talk about the neuroscience of flow. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. 
It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.